Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. Try it and see how it comes out. Even though there was no discrimination. No, I'm I'm really bad at a Hispanic accent. Even though <laughs> No, yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Which is funny. Welcome to season two of She Builds podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we're going international. All of the ladies of our second season will be from all over the globe. Yeah. One more thing. Before we start, we just want to thank all of y'all for all the support you have shown us. All the emails, the comments, the suggestions, the words of encouragement. I can't tell you how much that means to us. Please keep it up. Hashtag love language words of affirmation. Yeah, <laughs> we love our we listeners. Love listeners. Okay, today we're going to talk about Margot Taule, the first woman to become a registered engineer and architect in the Dominican Republic. I'm Nerdiri Rivas, studying for the architecture registration examination in Houston, Texas. Hi there. I'm Jessica Rogers, sweating in my closet out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Lizzie Rar, newly 30 in San Francisco. Hey. Hey, hey. Welcome to the club. Oh, yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> I made it, guys. I'm here. So like always, our quick disclaimer, the three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on the subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us and leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. 
All right, let's start. Today's episode is extra special to me. Because we're talking about a caribeña. <laughs> yeah, we are. You ready? As we'll ever be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, let's start. Okay. <clears throat> the time was August 30, 1920. The place, Santo Domingo, República Dominicana. Rose Marguerite Taule Casso was born. Margot Taule for short. Her parents were Jules Eugene Taule Garnier and Mercedes Casso Gilles, descendants of French immigrants. Margot was the youngest of five children. She had two brothers and two sisters. Ooh, French immigrants. I know Haiti was colonized by France, but wasn't the Dominican Republic colonized by Spain? Yes, but mm, there's a really long history between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. In short, I'll tell you that Margot's family probably had nothing to do with that. They moved to the Dominican Republic because they had ties to banking and telegraph companies. Gotcha. But for quick context, Haiti and the Dominican Republic are two different countries, but they are on the same island, Hispaniola. Yeah, the Dominican Republic is Puerto Rico's neighbor to the left, and Haiti is Cuba's neighbor to the right. The Dominican Republic and Haiti and pretty much all the greater Antilles, which also include Cuba, Jamaica, and Puerto Rico, have a rich, very complex history that can be studied through their architecture of indigenous, colonial, and contemporary time periods. Very true. You know, something that's really powerful about our profession is how much you can tell about an era in a society only by looking at the built environment. We actively contribute to that story. Yeah, for sure. You can see it when you think about European cities versus like the East Coast of the U.S. And then as you move west, you see this progression of time, lifestyle and design era through the architecture. And even within a city itself, as you move from the city center outward, you can see a progression based on the time of the buildings that were built as the city expanded. Right. So like you can see the evolution of architecture through history and how it deals with what was going on. So like, for example, in Europe, the Romans and Greeks influenced architecture and it's reflected in the time period or era of like classicism. Then later that evolved to Rococo and then to neoclassicism and then de decor. And then there's things like wars and Great Depression and government propaganda got up in there. And then it was like, whoa, and then we get things like <laughs> modernism and brutalism architecture. And then with the rise of technology and like the space wars, we get futurism, googie architecture, contemporary, and the list can go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. What a great history. <laughs> that yeah. was great. Thanks for taking us through that whole history. <laughs> I could be a, an architecture history teacher. Bam. Two seconds right there. <laughs> But that's true. I mean, even today, you can see things changing with conversations that are happening between designers and architects about the built environment, how it relates to our response to climate action and social justice, and even in response to social issues like border control, immigration, and spatial design in response to COVID-19. Yes, this is all part of what makes our job so unique and important. Well, Margot was certainly someone who contributed to the story of her country, and I will tell you how and why. While Margot was not the first woman to graduate from architecture in the Dominican Republic, 
She was part of the group of pioneers of the profession for women. Nonjiri, who was the first? That title belongs to Francisca Angelica Romero Beltre. She was not only the first woman, she was the first person to graduate with an engineer architect degree from a university in the Dominican Republic on October 28, 1941. Ooh, wow. Both degrees. Yeah, well, at the time in the Dominican Republic, the degree was both engineering and architecture. But today, they're separate degrees. That's so awesome that the first person to graduate with a degree was a woman, though. I love to hear that. Right? I think now's a good time to give you a fun fact, actually. Did you guys know there's a World Architecture Day? No. Is it in March? It's the first Monday of October. (laughs) (laughs) Not March. Not March. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the first Monday of October to coincide with UN's World Habitat Day. Cool. Well, we all know October is the best month. I mean, Mm. debatable. Mm, I don't know about that. You want to be starting something. You want to be starting something. Oh. What? That's a different song, <laughs> Jessica. You had to wait for her to finish. Oh, I was following the music in my heart, I guess. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Yes. So there is World Architecture Day, but what's even cooler is that the Dominican Republic has a National Architect Day. We have a whole day, you guys. What? Whoa. Mm-hmm. They celebrate it on November 3rd because that's the birth date of a famous Dominican architect, Guillermo Gonzalez. He graduated from Yale University and he is known as a prominent figure of modern architecture in the country, which is super cool and extremely important. But part of me wishes they would celebrate it on October 28 to celebrate the first person who became an architect in their country who just happened to be a woman. Well, we can probably figure out why they chose Guillermo over Francisca. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Margot studied a few years after Francisca from 1940 to 1944, the same degree from the same university, the University of Santo Domingo which today is known as the Autonomous University of Santo Domingo. It was the only university in the country that offered that degree at the time. In 1945, she became a professor at the university, and in 1948, she became the first woman to be registered as an engineer and architect in the country. That's so cool! Are there special requirements or what's the process to become licensed? Did she have to take any tests like we do here? Good question. Okay, today to become a licensed architect in the Dominican Republic, you have to work at least a year under a registered professional, and then you can apply for the license with the Dominican College of Engineers, Architects, and Surveyors. Okay, so in a way, it's kind of similar to us, but they don't need to take tests like we do. But do they require, like, an architecture degree? From what I could gather, yes, they do. Okay. So the college did not exist under the law until 1963, the College of Engineers, Architects, and Surveyors. Before, they were the Association of Dominican Engineers and Architects. 
They formed in 1945 in an attempt to give structure to the profession in the country and to represent and protect rights of these professionals. I'm not sure what the requirements were at the time for Margot to join them. I just know that she was registered in 1948, so... I think that she had to work under another professional for some time because that's what she did. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, two years before she was a registered architect, she worked with the architect Henry Gasson Bona on Hotel Maguana in the city of San Juan de la Maguana. This project is described as a modernist building, very sober and linear. Then in 1948, with the same architect, she worked on Hotel Matum in Santiago, which was originally called Hotel Marien. Now, I didn't find pictures of Hotel Maguana, but the pictures of Hotel Matum look very similar in style as what is described of Hotel Maguana. Very sterile and like a long linear box. Some people might look at it and think that maybe it looks boring, but in the pictures, they show it on top of a hill, and I think it has, like, a presence. That's cool. I suppose, like, how we mentioned before that that style of architecture was very consistent. I mean, especially if it was designed by the same architect, so. Right. <laughs> that same year, in 1948, she worked on the Mune Residence. Icon in the neighborhood of Gasque in Santo Domingo. Gasque used to be a very fancy area where the upper class lived, and Casa Mune was built on a property that was 3,200 square meters, which is about a little more than 34,400 square feet. Whoa, that's big. Yeah, very big. The house didn't take up that whole property. But it was still a very big house for the five members of the Monet Taule family. Wait, Monet Taule? Was hmm. that Margot's house? Her sister's, Jean Melanie. Wow. So I guess we can assume that the family is loaded. Well, I looked them up. Margot's brother-in-law, the owner of the house, was a Spanish immigrant, along with his brother and cousin. He started the Monet and Co. in the Dominican Republic. They were involved with exporting all sorts of goods. Grain, coffee, corn, honey, rice, cocoa. They were all over the place. And it paid off. Yep, that definitely sounds like they had money. Money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> A little more info about the Mune house. It has two floors. The sister chose the color blue for the facade, and it's been the same ever since. It's known as the Blue House. The house is this very nice balance of modern works that Taule did with colonial motifs, Art Nouveau staircases, interior and exterior gardens, a courtyard. It even had a gallery for the family's artwork. Ooh. <laughs> and her sister was very particular about everything that went into the house. I watched a short documentary on the house, which you can find in the show notes. And a person that knew her was like, everything in there was premeditated to go with the architecture of the house. Artwork is not hung up like crazy people. No, no, no. 
It's exactly the right place, color, proportions. All the furniture was very conscientious of the special architecture of the house. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it sounds beautiful. And I have to say, I love when you can design a space for what's going to be inside of it as well as like designing the building itself. I mm -hmm. feel like interiors, especially with residential architecture, interiors can really affect architecture as well as the other way around. So thinking through what's going to go into the space or onto the walls and furnish it can really round out a design. Yes, I really encourage listeners to watch the documentary. It's on the show notes. It's very short. It's like less than five minutes and it's in Spanish. But even if you don't know the language, you can appreciate the architecture, the spaces and the details of the house. I know I will definitely be checking it out. Me too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I was telling you that the Gasque area used to be a high class place to live, but it's fallen out of grace. A lot of government buildings were constructed there, so the zoning changed from residential to include commercial, and the kids of the wealthy people that lived there started moving to other places, and little by little, the area has been in decline. Sad. Hashtag urban plight, or the opposite of gentrification? That's what it kind of sounds like to me. Mm. Yeah, maybe. The really sad part is that When Margot's sister passed away in the 2000s, the house joined the rest of the Gasque area in decline. The good news is that in 2017, the house was bought by the Central Bank of the Dominican Republic. And the hope is that they will restore it and turn parts of it into a museum. Ooh, that's so cool. This can definitely be a tourist attraction that I would love to visit. I always thought that the tourist attraction for the Dominican Republic would be like their beaches, music and food. But as an architecture nerd, I have to see this. House. You do. <laughs> Agreed. I love <laughs> seeing architecturally significant houses that have been restored like that. So yep. I'm going to be going there, Me too. Mm -hmm. Well, the motives for buying the house that the bank had were not super altruistic. Oh. Yeah, the bank is really close to the house. I think that it's like in the house's backyard, like it's super, super close. And their biggest concern seemed to be like if someone else bought the property and demolished the house and turned it into an apartment or an office complex, that would bring more cars to the area. So basically, they bought the house to avoid traffic jams during rush hours. I mean, who loves traffic? That kind of makes a lot of sense, though, because that's a huge ass site. Like whoever bought that would for sure develop that into something and like put up. You could put up so much property in that site. Yeah, 34,000 yeah, square feet. Yeah, exactly. So like I kind of get it. It's not like it's just like one house sitting there like it's a big property. When I read it, I was like, really, guys, that's what you were worried about. But you're totally right. Like, it's a true concern. That's totally what a developer's mind would go to. Well, the newspaper reported in 2017 that their plans for the house were to restore it to be, among other things, 
an expansion of their current Museum of Coin and Stamps, a cultural events center, and the home of their Department of Systems and Technology that focuses on cybersecurity. And I was thinking, what's up with that combination of uses for the house? (laughs) Yeah, that's so many things. Uh, Yeah, it's a big house, but... Sounds like to me they're trying to stretch a dollar out of 15 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that means. (laughs) I agree, Jessica. (laughs) Let's fast forward to 1955. My dad was born. And Margot worked on a particularly important project. She was a consultant for the structural development of the Fair of Peace and Fraternity of the Free World. That was a world's fair that was not recognized by the Bureau International de Exposition, or BIE. I had no idea there's an organization that foresees world's fairs, which now that I know it exists, I'm like, duh. I mean. It's not like World's Fairs happen willy-nilly, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the IOC for the Olympics, right? And they plan those out like eight years ahead of time or whatever. But why was this an unrecognized World's Fair? Why did the BIE not condone it? Well, the fair was not officially recognized because it was really a fair to celebrate the 25 years of Rafael Trujillo's dictatorship. I guess celebrating regimes is not what the BIE was about. (laughs) Rightfully so. The fair was organized and constructed in an extremely tight timeline. They had a short time frame to design and build 125 acres or 51 hectare of land. That's pretty huge. Margot says that she worked a lot of nights past midnight. From past experience, I know that must not have been fun. Well, with all that crazy schedule, in just six months, a majority of the construction was completed. Yet, by the deadline of December 20, only two-thirds of the structures and exhibitions were done. So Trujillo inaugurated it like that. Oh? Okay, let's have in mind this context of her working so hard in these extra hours while I read you this quote from her. Even though there was no discrimination regarding the type of work I could do. It still existed in the way they paid me. A lot of times I worked more than my colleagues and earned less. I remember on one occasion when I asked my boss, what are my defects as a professional? And he responded, only one, being a woman. It's a new season. But same BS. Mmm. Hombre. Que vaina. In total, 75 permanent buildings were constructed for the fair. And at the end of the fair, a lot of those were converted to be government buildings, including one that Margot was personally involved in, in the structural design. It became the National Congress building, and it is still that today. Okay. Cool. Cool. Adding that to the list for my ARC venture in the DR. I'm over here planning our next trip. Yeah. For the day when we can actually go places again. But, you know, it's just good to be prepared. Vision boarding it. 
(laughs) Throughout her career, Margot worked with many leading architects in the Dominican Republic, such as Leopold and J.A. Caro Alvarez and Guillermo Gonzalez, who I mentioned a while back. Oh, right. The National Architects Day guy. Right. In 1956, Margot became a tenured professor for her alma mater, the University of Santo Domingo. The university's name changed in 1964 to be Universidad Autónoma de Santo Domingo. Apparently, the name was not the only thing that changed in 1964. Some professors in the university were not happy with the way it was being run and the direction that it was going. So years later, two years later, a group of professors jumped ship and started their own university. Guess who was part of that group? Margot! How'd you know? Because homegirl was fed up. (laughs) In 1966, Margot, along with other professors, founded the National University Pedro Enriquez Ureña. There, she worked as a professor in civil engineering in the architecture and mathematics department. She was also a professor in the engineering department. During her years in the university, she held positions such as Dean of Architecture Program, and of the Engineering Program. Actually, she was the first woman to be Dean of an Architecture Program in the country. Cool. Ooh. And she was president of the university from 2002 to 2004, making her the first and only woman to have this post at a university in the country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that was more than 10 years ago. So I hope that in the near future, they get another woman president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hope yeah. so. Well, after a long life of hard work and many achievements, Margot passed away on June 11, 2008. I have to say that I really enjoyed learning about Margot because she struck me as someone who was really invested in the profession of architecture and engineering in her country and helping it expand and in helping others to do the same. I mean, I don't think you would be a professor for so many decades and even become a founder of another university if you weren't super invested in furthering the profession and being a mentor, right? Yeah. We need more women like her in this profession. I think it's one thing to have your career and to like build stuff. But for Margot to build something that would further the future of the profession, it's it's so impactful. I would like to end her story with one last quote from her. Although I do not rule out there may be exceptions. I believe that we women have managed to impose professional capacity as the only criteria to measure our performance at work. Man, I wish that were true. I mean, we talked about this last season, but that's not been the case for most women in the profession. And it does sound like Margot was a prominent figure in the profession in her country, and she was very respected for her work, and she made like great headway there. But yeah, we know that that's not really how it played out. I agree. Now, it's time for our karyotid. Lizzie, please remind us what a karyotid is. Absolutely. 
A caryatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we present a caryatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through her work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Drumroll, please! <laughs> Gloria Cloter! Gloria is a Dominican registered architect and an interior designer in the state of Florida and in the Dominican Republic. She and Margot share an alma mater, the Autonomous University of Santo Domingo. What drew me to Gloria as a caretaker for Margot is how invested she is in helping others advance in the profession of architecture. Gloria has been published and invited to be a speaker at numerous events to share her journey as a foreign architect becoming licensed in the United States. Wow. It's such a long and arduous process to get licensed in the U.S. at all. And then to do it after going through licensure in another country and then being a non-English speaker on top of that. I can't imagine. She is amazing. Yeah. Um, I also think Gloria runs a Facebook group specifically to aid the ARE candidates where English is their second language. Ooh, Ooh that's cool. I'm going to yeah. tell my husband to look into that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Also, Gloria is an associate director of the AIA Tampa Bay. She founded the New Women in Architecture and Young Architects Forum Tampa Bay committees. And... She is a chair of both. If that's not enough, she also volunteers in the program Architecture in Education, which is an eight-week program where architecture professionals teach fifth grade students about architecture. Isn't that so cute? That's so great. I'm also really glad that she founded all of these. More programs and committees like this can be an incredible resource. Yeah, and that eight-week program sounds so fun. I would totally have loved that. (laughs) Right? Super cute. So in my research of Gloria, there was so much information about how helpful she is. I decided to reach out to her with a few questions I had about Margot and architecture in the Dominican Republic. After I did that, I found out that she had just become a new mom, like weeks before. So. I figured that it would take her a while to respond to me because, you know, she's like having a child. It's a lot of work, you know, Mm -hmm. understandable. So, yeah, I thought that my little email would just get lost in her inbox. Well, she totally surprised me. And then I bombarded her with questions and she made time for me. She made time to respond each of them thoroughly. So I just want to say one more time. Gloria, thank you again. It meant a lot to us at She Builds Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And congrats on your baby girl. Yay. (laughs) All right. Before we sign off, we want to say gracias, CMYK, for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, muchísimas gracias for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Margot and Gloria along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, gracias.
please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your amigos and amigas, and give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review, and this will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast, and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Adios! Que la pasen bien! Hasta luego! Nos vemos! Oh, no. Nos escuchamos! <laughs> <laughs> so what's World Architecture Day? Well... World Architecture Day is a day where the world celebrates architecture. Sorry. you we can cut this. I'm so tired, you guys. Hey designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if, if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit him with two levers if you like. <laughs> the official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations, that's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.